Chapter One of A Superfluous Woman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bruce Peary. A Superfluous Woman by Emma Frances Brooke. Dying, hmm, said the doctor he was a short square man with great shoulders and he stood with his hands thrust into the pockets of his coat and with his legs a little apart he had forgotten to turn down his trousers before coming into the room so that a pair of large strong boots much splashed with mud planted themselves only too visibly upon the carpet he was not a west end doctor and had made his way to this west end mansion by short stages in omnibuses and by short stages on foot his practice lay among the sores which devour the flesh of lazarus most of his hours were spent in those hospitals where the maimed worker seeks a little respite from misery before he passes from the cruelty of the world and much of his leisure in gratuitous labor among the fetid dens of the poor he seemed in his own eyes to be as a gatherer who binds together perpetually fallen sheaves of blighted corn and his constant fight with death had brought a grim look into his face but not into his eyes these were large brown soft and penetrating and had the look of one who brings a message or who entreats a favor they called this man dr cornerstone dying doctor repeated the lady with whom he was in converse wiping from her eye the moisture of sentiment while her mind with really strong feeling repudiated his boots madam said dr cornerstone perhaps i can see my patient upon which the lady brought her pocket-handkerchief from her face and rose and led the way from the room the house through which the doctor followed her was full of pleasant airs and pleasant scents through the open windows of the staircase he caught glimpses of trees in blossom for it was may and the sound of the city came to the ear only as a pleasing hum for the mansion was in one of the best parts of london and round about blew the breezes of the open park so that in a moment as by enchantment he who entered here was set apart from the noise and the disgrace of the streets they paused at the door of a chamber here the lady turned round once more and once more wiped the tear of sentiment from her eye dying doctor said she the most beautiful woman in england and one of the richest the world was at her feet indeed there is no doubt that had not this illness intervened lord harriet madam shall we proceed said the doctor with a singular look and the lady opened the door he found himself in a large chamber so disposed for luxury that the senses of one who breakfasted dined and supped on misery might well stagger for the moment a wide and beautiful window showed trees full of blossom opposite the window but at some distance back in the room was a comfortable couch upon which the patient lay covered with a pearl-colored silk eiderdown by the side of the couch was a table with flowers and fruit 
a nurse appropriately dressed in the exquisite garb of her profession stood near holding a cup of fragrant soup another nurse flitted in the background of the room where the doctor rather surmised than saw a bed and the elegant litter of a luxurious toilet the prettinesses of the chamber alone gathered there merely to please the eye of the occupant must the doctor reflected have diverted labor sufficient to have produced the clothes and food for a whole street of starving people for a year's time he advanced toward the couch and planted himself somewhat sturdily before it his hands again in his coat pockets and his muddy boots a little apart and he looked down at the face and figure which the pearl silk eiderdown partially concealed the lady who had accompanied him stood meanwhile a little behind with her hands folded together and her head inclined and wearing an expression of anxiety which was rather conventional than deep contrasts are apt to be trying and by the side of the sturdy doctor anything tutored and compressed in deference to fashion fell away from the lines of humanity into caricature and one half of this lady's personality had been purchased it is to be feared in shops worth the hairdresser perfumer and dentist were responsible for her more striking features while though god may have been the shaper of her bones in the first instance they had suffered from the corset-maker's processes as to her mind if the exterior were any index to it this with the smile and tear was probably society's own product such was the woman within whose hands had lain the shaping of the earlier years of the girl who reposed beneath the eiderdown upon the couch she it was who had been the ruling spirit the educator and influence it was in the doctor's mind that it had been so as he stood gazing at the unsolved enigma of his patient and the thought threw him upon a reverie so deep that he forgot either to move or speak and presently the lady unclasped her hands and threw up her head the attitude of appropriate sorrow being prolonged further than endurance could bear at the same moment a nurse set a cup of broth down on a table the chink of the china roused the doctor he raised his head and looked round remove these women said he the lady signalled with her hand and the attendants disappeared closing the door behind them with the caution of long practice when they had gone she found herself confronted by an open-eyed and steady look this unaccustomed steadfastness and truth in the eye confounded her like an accusation and her nerves shrank and her spirits took a panic and all the artifice slipped off her face as the color will wash from the cheek of a doll i must request you also to leave me alone with my patient said the doctor in a cool clear whisper whereupon the woman's scared senses fled straight away to the book of etiquette it was her rock of ages and she clung there with tenacity 
impossible doctor impossible i could not do such a thing it is not customary she returned in emphatic sibilance a ray of sardonic humour gleamed in the man's eye and alarmed her once more with the sense of the unusual madam said he you tell me that three physicians have tried their hands on this case and failed you tell me that hearing my name by chance you proposed to call me in to assist and your physicians consented to permit this last resource but they informed you that my methods were unusual and unorthodox and that it was impossible for them to meet me professionally or to take the responsibility of applying them in other words in spite of my doctor's degree i am a quack you have madam sufficiently outraged custom by calling me in at all and a trifle more or less will do no harm custom you will understand does not apply to quacks he began to walk at her as he spoke with his head raised and with his eyes steady and she went before him as though a wind had blown carrying a shaft of fear in her heart when she had gone he turned the key in the door the patient had not so much as lifted an eyelid dr cornerstone went first to a table where the prescriptions and medicine bottles stood and where pens and ink were placed in readiness for himself he read the prescriptions in a leisurely manner and then took up the notes of the nurses the prescriptions he swept aside upon the notes he made a few concise comments and then once more he came to the side of the couch and gazed at the patient then he drew a chair near and sat down and stretched out his hand and took hers into it she lay there as beautiful and still as a marble statue her dark hair fell upon the pillow and over the edge toward the carpet her dark lashes rested on her cheek her features were small and there was a dimple near her mouth and a dent in her chin her eyebrows were wide and beautiful as a bird's wing she was called jessamine halliday one wasted hand lay outside on the quilt and held a sprig of the white jessamine blossom loosely only by the scarcely visible motion of the lace about her throat and breast could one have told that she lived the doctor kept her hand in his silently for a few minutes and he looked toward the garden where the wind came and went softly among the may blossoms and where the bees already hummed then in a low voice he spoke the reaper goes said he over the great city his wings are famine and overwork but his eyes are merciful he stands now upon the threshold of a room none who are in the room see him or think of him he is their deliverer the only one they have or can have but their whole life is spent in keeping him at bay they think only how they shall manage to live to exist they think of that though there is nothing in life which they can hope for to make it pleasant and worth living 
they ask for nothing but to work hard hard and to gather a few pence at the end the fear that the hard work will fail them is the haunting fear of their lives the room is a low attic with a slanting roof and a small window the window is open but just outside is a wall with other small windows the one opposite has a broken pane stuffed with rags there is a stifling smell in the room for it is filled with people at work under the window are two men cutting pieces of fur into shape on a wooden table across the fireplace is a board on trestles and here a lad nails the fur and stretches it in another corner is an old wooden bedstead worm-eaten moth-destroyed and revolting here a sick woman sits and her shaking fingers hold some strips of the fur she never raises her head she sews and sews and looks at the work when she coughs badly she has to wait for a minute but her trembling fingers set to the work again feverishly at the other end of the room are two other women sewing as she does they are all three elderly and all three are leaden-eyed and pale and exhausted they are working now as they have worked all their lives the sick woman on the bed has two children to keep her husband died five months ago but for two years before his death he was ill and could not work she kept him too she is thinking now of the two little ones locked in the garret in the opposite court and waiting for her to come back to feed them all her life she has worked as she works now but she has never made for herself or for them one wholesome set of clothes nor cooked one satisfying meal and now there are sores upon her face her hair has been cut away in patches her eyes are half blind and her cheeks are sunken so that the bones threaten to pierce them and her skin burns with fever once she looks up and in her eyes is a horrible fear something frightens her the women at the other end of the room have been talking loudly and complainingly and the man at the table is answering them angrily you can do it or not as you like he says in a rough voice is it my fault i asks what does the governor say to me he says i may take the furs at two and six a dozen less or i may leave them alone he says he knows a chap that will do them lower than that it's nothing to me he says who does them or who doesn't i'm not going to waste my time talking he says and if he knocks off my pay where am i is it my fault that i take a penny here or a penny there off yours how am i to live i want to know there are plenty of women waiting to take your places and you know that as well as i do he swears as he talks and the women are silent after a time she on the bed has never spoken her eyes sink back to her work and her cheek has gone deadly pale she lays her hand on her breast for a moment the baby at home is but six months old and how is it to be fed night comes at last the lights are put out in the workroom and the woman can go home she creeps upstairs to the garret in the opposite court full of sick fear and misery she is always frightened when she leaves them so long alone 
to-night when she opens the door she finds the eldest child wailing on the floor and the baby lying in the cradle white and weak with scarcely a breath passing between its lips and the fear comes into the mother's face again and she feels at her breast and cries to one who has come up the stairs behind her doctor doctor for the lord's love give me a drink of broth for the child's sake doctor but the reaper unseen and merciful followed her from the workroom he stands now beside her in the garret and his eyes are merciful and tender he lays his hand upon mother and child he does it now for this is no dream he steps nearer he gathers these two and lays them to rest in his bosom the doctor's voice ceased and when it had stopped the wind was heard whispering through the trees and he still held one of the white hands of jessamine in his own the other hand had let fall the blossom the reaper goes over the great city spoke the doctor once more and his wings are idleness and riches but his eyes are flames of wrath and he stands upon the threshold of the room and he cries how long o lord how long and a voice goes out like the whispering of wind in the blossoms of the trees and the voice says lay not thine hand to the root but give time for repentance and bid the sick arise and work and suffer the doctor stopped and turned from the window and the girl's eyes were wide open and were fixed upon his and then he lifted her with his arm and while she lay back against his shoulder he fed her slowly in small sips with the strong and fragrant soup is the woman dead whispered the patient yes said the doctor end of chapter one